whole premise for today is going to be uh, showing the contrast between our good intentions and our not-so-good actions, and how does God respond when that happens? When we have good intentions, but our actions are not so good, how does God respond? What happens to all the promises that he has for us whenever our actions are not so good? Uh, so let's dive straight into it. We're going to use Abraham as a case study this morning. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Let's dive right into it. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham, Abram outside and said, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So here we have God giving Abram an incredible promise. An incredible promise. But what happens when Abraham starts to fumble the ball. Uh, you know, it, it's not hard uh, for us to grasp that God had a plan for all of us the moment we were born. Otherwise, he wouldn't have arranged for that. But from the moment we, we were born to the time it is today, a lot has transpired. We've done things. We've said things. Uh, we've been inconsistent here, and we've been too consistent there. Um, we're, we're not uh, a baby anymore with a uh, squeaky clean one-minute-long record of our history. We've lived a lot of life. What happens when we fumble the ball? Uh, my wife... Uh, was sitting at a red light a few weeks ago, and uh, the red light was taking forever. And uh, she was second in line behind a guy, and um, she thought to herself, I wonder if this light is taking forever because the guy that's in front of me is too far away from the white line. We all know that there's these magical sensors that shoot from light post to light post. And if it doesn't see your car, then the lights don't turn. Now, do we know if that's true or not? But you have heard of it before, right? 
We don't know if our local government are so concerned that we may wait too long that they have invested into sensors to see our tires and change the lights. We don't know if they care that much. We would like to assume that though, right? So she's sitting behind the first car and she thinks, I don't think the light is turning so I'm going to tell him to scoot up a little bit. So she goes, doot, doot. Now, <laughs> I heard someone go, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, We've, if you've had your driver's license longer than one week, you have learned to talk horn. Some of you can talk Spanish and English, speak Spanish, speak English, but if you've had your, car, your driver's license longer than one week, you know how to speak horn. For instance, if I'm driving by and you're mowing the grass and I go, beep, beep, what does that mean? See? We've never even talked about this. Now, if I'm sitting uh, at a crossroads and all of a sudden I look at a car and I go, Burn! what does that mean? <laughs> it means I'm not real happy with you right now. Now, if I'm driving down the road and I see a dog crossing and I go, beep, beep, that means if I'm driving down the road and I see a cat and I don't hit my horn and I speed up, <laughs> I think it's common knowledge that dogs love, you may love cats more than you love dogs, but dogs love us more than cats love us. You just need to know that. If you want to test me, uh, walk through the door of your house and you see a dog going, <laughs> his tail. <laughs> you walk through the door and look at a cat and it's like, Why are you, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? In fact, your dog probably loves you more than your mother loves you. More than your wife loves you. If you don't believe me, lock your mom and your dog in the trunk. And then open the trunk. Who's happy to see you? Am I right? It's a man's best friend. So you slow down, you doot doot, I love you puppy, doot doot. So Allie gives the guy a doot doot. Well this guy wasn't in the mood. He didn't know the language of honk. I don't know where he's from, probably some foreign nation like Louisiana. So here in God's country, doot doot means just scoot up. I guess in Louisiana, it means move. Well, he got upset. He's looking in the mirror, looking in the side mirror, looking in all mirrors. And then the light turns green and he doesn't go. I asked Allie, what did you do? 
because we're going to do something about this. She goes, well, I, I didn't do anything. And I said, well, see, that's why you're saved and I'm clearly not. <laughs> because at the very least, I'm going to say something through my window that he can read my lips. So what happens if I were in the car and that happens to me and then the moment passes and I totally bombed and fumbled and now I'm sitting in my car and all of a sudden there's that awkward silence where I know that I did something that I was not supposed to do. You know that awkward moment? Now what happens when you've done like a million of those? What happens to the promises? Abraham received this incredible promise, this unbelievable promise, but he did some stupid, stupid things. For example, I'm going to give you two examples. He's walking into Canaan. He's walking into the city, and he looks at his wife, Sarah, and he's like, oh, this ain't going to go good. This ain't going to go good. You're clearly prettier than me. True story. He says, look, you are so hot by the time we get into the middle of this city word is going to spread how hot you are it's going to get all the way to pharaoh the ruler of this city he's going to take you and invite you to his house sarah's like i'm not that pretty i'm not that pretty oh honey stop it stop it no honey it's going to happen. I know I got this bad feeling. So when it happens, you're way hotter than me. When it happens, have you ever looked at somebody who's hot and then you look at the spouse and you're like, how did you get her? <laughs> you know, we've all thought, man, I didn't know I had a chance with her. <laughs> You see a superstar, and she's married to some, like, knucklehead, and you're like, I had a chance with her. I didn't know I had a chance with her. If she was interested in him, I definitely had a shot. Well, that's what happens. Sarah's smoking, married to him. They go into the city, and sure, sure enough, it happens. Word trickles, hot girl, hot girl, hot girl, hot girl. Pharaoh sends word, bring that girl to me. They come to get Sarah. Abraham's afraid they're going to kill him just to get him out of the picture. He doesn't want to die. And he goes, this isn't my wife. It's my sister. Louisiana is what you're thinking, right? <laughs> I know. Sisters and brothers. Oh, I'm sorry. Some of you are from Louisiana and you're like, dude, one more Louisiana. I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to throw this chair at you. So it, he lies to them. He says, this is my sister. And they take her to Pharaoh, and they don't kill him. They let him live because they're brother and sisters. If it was the husband, they just take him out of the picture. So now he's messed up because the promise that he has is to have a son, to have descendants. And it was supposed to come from his wife, and he just gave his wife away. He goes back, God, I did it this time. I mean, I really did it. 
I mean, I, I've put you in a position. You are going to give me a son through my wife, and I, I gave her away. So God steps in and says, okay, look, 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 look. You're going to do things that I'm going to need to fix. I've been watching you, Abraham, since you were one years old. Your stupidity is not surprising to me. Doesn't that feel good? That God's been watching us our whole life. And so when we do something dumb, like give our spouse away, some of you are like, I'd like to try that. When we do something dumb, the Lord backs up and says, look, I've been watching you your whole life. I've got enough margin on each side. So when you get a little crazy, you're supposed to go right and you're supposed to go left, but you go right and you're not following my plans. I've got enough to fix this because my promises are cut in stone. If you're taking notes, write that down. That's number one. Promises are cut in stone. They're cut in stone. So he causes this epidemic to infiltrate Pharaoh's house and community. He realizes what he did. He gives Sarah back to Abraham, says, I'm so sorry. A few years later, this happened in chapter 12 of Genesis. In chapter 20, they're walking into another city. And he looks at his wife and he's like, you know, you're, you're hot. Um, she's like, baby, please, not again. <laughs> For all you women, whether you're single or married, every time you've talked to a guy and you've thought to yourself, you're an idiot, whether it's your boss or someone else, and you just humble yourself and say, okay, there's a special place for you in heaven for dealing with imbecile men. Right away, you get a ruby in your crown. Bam, boom, bam, right there. Right away, just right away for dealing with. So Sarah goes, babe, we're not going to do this again, are we? Let's just do it. Lie, you're going to give me, yeah. They walk in, hey, this time it's King Abimelech. He finds out about this girl. Now, sidebar, the first time it happened to Sarah, she was 65. This time, 90. Yeah, Renee, I just saw your head go. How hot are you? When you're 90 years old and word is out. Oh my goodness. She's hot. 90. Can you imagine having a smoking hot grandma? <laughs> Where you say, dude, stop looking at my grandma, dude, seriously. <laughs> like you're making me uncomfortable. She must have been taking Avon cream since she was three. I'm not going in the sun. Give me an umbrella. I'm not going in the sun. I'm going to protect my, my skin. When I'm 90, I'm going to be hot. I'm going to protect my skin. Can you imagine? I don't know how she did it. She must have been Daniel Diet forever. <laughs> how many of you are on 
the Daniel diet right now? How many of you are on the Danny diet? Danny, Danny fast, where you just kind of mix it up. Throw in some fudge in there. That's the Danny. The Danny fast. Those of you that are on the Daniel fast, we're almost there. I'm very proud of you. Put your hands together for yourself. We're almost there. Okay. What am I talking about? So King Abimelech takes her. And so now he goes back to God. I did it again. Oops, I did it again. <laughs> he was on. And so God looks down and he says, Abraham. And he goes, I, I don't know what to do. I've messed up again. I know you've messed up again. But my promises are cut in stone. Abraham, you've made this for all of us who say, I did this same thing again. My promises are cut in stone. Now you've made it a little interesting and I've got to work some things out now. I need to iron out some wrinkles, but that's why they call me God, because I know how to iron out wrinkles. So he sends a dream to King Abimelech, a nightmare. He wakes up and realizes that Sarah is really married to Abraham. Abraham gets his wife back. Boom. I want to say this over and over to all of us that have this secret voice. Have I been goofing around for so long that plan A has now been booted and now I'm on plan N? No. No, no, no. His plans for you are cut in stone. Here's a great verse for you to memorize. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says that God watches. To make sure that the plan that he started in you actually is completed. It's completed. He watches. He's, he's, he's watching. He's watching everything. And oh, Abraham, don't. Oh, come on, man. We already did this. That's okay. That's okay. I can fix that too. Would you give the Lord a round of applause for that? Number two. The promises of God are cut in stone. But if we're going to receive them, we have to learn how to throw a stone. You have to learn how to throw them. For those of you that grew up in your golden gloves and karate people, good for you. That's awesome. I don't know what a fair fight means. I have no idea. I was chicken, chicken liver. Every once in a while, though, I'd put a little rock behind my back. And all of a sudden, you want, you, are, you, are you talking to me? Have you ever snuck a rock behind your back, guys? Come on. Just a little one. Are you talking to me? Yeah, come here, I got something for you. When you have these head games, 
And you have these thoughts. You have two options. Either number one, you can try to determine whether it's God, which is never the case. If it makes you feel bad about you, that thought isn't from God. Write that down. So you can sit there and wrestle. Is that me? Is that God? Is it the truth? Is it the lie? Have I messed up? Have I been goofing around too much? Have I been wasting time? Or you can memorize just one scripture, get one rock, and throw the mess out of that thing. David only needed one rock. You only need one scripture that you can throw real good. Just one and use it until you've turned blue in the face. If you have to use the Philippians one, use the Philippians one. You just need one good rock. And you back up and you say, you can wear that Philippians one out if you want to. If I can be confident of this one thing, if I can be confident of this one thing, confident of this one thing, and take your time saying it because it, gets a, it builds your faith. The God who started a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. Here's one of my favorites. It's Psalms 51, 17. It says this, the sacrifice you desire. This is what I say whenever I do or say something stupid. I'm like, what the, does God want some form of recompense? Does he, want, does he want me to feel bad about myself, beat myself up? The sacrifice you desire is of a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken spirit and a repentant heart. Do you know how bad Satan gets mad at me whenever I start throwing that rug? He will not reject. Yeah, I messed up, but he won't reject a broken heart. And God, I am sorry. He won't reject a repentant heart. And God, I am repentant. He won't reject. He won't. You throw the mess out of that rock. You just get you one. So all your promises are engraved on a rock, on a stone. Sometimes you have to throw a stone as number two. Let me just say this as I close up that second point right before I dive into the last and final point, point number three. You're going to have an onslaught. An onslaught of thoughts and troubles. We got to get good at throwing rocks. I don't know who you're cheering for for the Super Bowl. Some of you are Broncos. Some of you are Seahawks. Some of you just don't care. Some of you just want to watch the commercials and, and watch the Budweiser frog get stomped again. And, but there is one guy on the Seahawks team that had to learn how to throw rocks in order to ever get where he is right now. Why don't you take a look at this video? They told me it couldn't be done, that I was the lost cause. I was picked on and picked last. Coaches didn't know how to talk to me. They gave up on me, told me I should just quit. And the last pick. They didn't call my name, told me it was over. But I've been deaf since I was three, so I didn't listen. 
now I'm here with a lot of fans in the NFL cheering me on. And I can hear them all. Absolutely. Put your hands together for that. You know, the part that jumped out at me when he said, I've been deaf since I was three. I didn't, I didn't catch that in the first service. I just caught it just now. He's been fighting that since he was three. At a certain point, and I feel the presence of God right now, at a certain point, he just realized, I'm going to fight this forever. But I'm going to win. See, this is why I feel the presence of God just saturating me right now. Because it may not be your hearing that you've been fighting since you were three. But if I were to sit down with you over a cup of coffee and just say, tell me your story. There are certain battles that you too have been fighting for years. And you've had every excuse in the world to just say, well, but while you've been in pain, you've continued to pursue. You're in church. You push a smile on your face, even when it feels like it doesn't fit. You get yourself together. You move forward. You've learned how to move forward, to be strong, to grit your teeth. And I want to tell you, at this part of your life, Pick up a rock. Pick up a rock and take that heart that you already have that's just tough as nails. Learn to throw a rock because every single promise that you think may have been stolen, it's all still engraved on stone. Point number three, your name, your new name, is engraved in stone. Some of you say, I don't know, you just lost me, Pastor. My name is Jeff. I was born with the name Jeff. My name is Tina. I was born with the name Tina. I'm, that's good. I was, my name's Frankie. I was born with the name Frankie. But did you know that when God looks at you, he does not see you by the name that I call you? He has given you a name that you're going to find out when you get to heaven what it is that he's been calling you all these years. It's going to be on a white stone. It's in Revelations chapter 2, verse 17. And I will give each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. You see, when God hands you that stone, and it's your name, I feel like this is from the Lord for somebody says steadfast. Steadfast means you have learned to not give up. Other people in heaven may see that moment and go, huh, 
I don't understand how that name goes with her. But you know how it goes with you. That God has been calling you steadfast since you were seven. She's steadfast. She's steadfast. 21, she's steadfast. She's steadfast. He's been speaking that over your life for 57 years. She's steadfast. 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 I remember when I was 17 years old, I was on the fourth row of the church, Triumph Church in Nederland, Texas. Isaiah used to serve there as well. If it was bad, I was doing it. The preacher stopped and told me to stand up. I was wearing this vest, and he goes, you with that vest thing on, stand up. I stood up, and he goes, I'm going to make you an example of righteousness in an unrighteous generation. I'm crying because there's not one righteous part of me. But God is going, I don't care what you're doing, Frankie, and I don't care what you've done. I've given you a new name. And it's our job to begin to see ourselves the way he sees us and to begin to walk in that. This is, we're talking about a person who loves you, who's crazy about you. Do you know in Song of Solomon it says this, Turn thine eyes from me. Have you ever fallen in love and it was hard for you to look into their eyes? In the third and fourth grade, I remember I couldn't look into any girl's eyes, especially Robin. She would look at me and I'd be all over the place. That's what the Lord's saying. You're so lovely to me. You're so lovely to me. Turn your eyes from me. When you raise your hands, you can't see him, but when he looks into your eyes, turn your eyes from me. Oh, when we begin to see ourselves that way, we begin to see that name inscribed on the rock. You've come to church to hear me say that every promise that God ever had in store with you, even before you were born, it's all still there. And you say, well, I've made a mess of things. He's been cleaning up messes before your parents were born. He's allotted for that. You're not surprising him. I heard a story, this is the last thing I'm going to say, I heard a story about five years ago, I was sitting in church and the preacher read this story, I've forgotten about this story, uh, I forgot where, no, I never forgot this story, I'm sorry, it has stuck with me all these years. I went on the internet and I was like, I gotta find this story. I found the story and come to find out songs have been written about this story. Poems have been written about this story. I'm choosing to believe that if it has stood the test of time this long, it's a true story. Maybe some of you have heard it. It's called The Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree. There was a young man who spent three years in prison 
After serving his time, he was granted release. He wanted to come home to be with his mom and dad. So he wrote them a letter and said, I'm coming back on a, the train this weekend. If you forgive me and want me to come home, will you please tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree in the front yard? I'll look out the window as we pass by, and if I see the yellow ribbon, I'll know I'm forgiven, and we'll get off at the train station. If there's no ribbon there, I'll just stay on the train and ride out of your life. I wouldn't blame you if you didn't put a ribbon on a tree. Well, the day came for him to get on the train and head back home. He was afraid to look. So he asked the man riding next to him to tell him if there was a ribbon tied around the tree of the old farm place. As the train slowed to a stop at the station, the man grabbed the arm of the sun and said, Look out the window. There isn't a ribbon on the tree. There are hundreds of ribbons on the tree. There are ribbons on every branch, on every tree in the entire front yard. There are hundreds of yellow ribbons. I want to tell you, the next time you're sitting in your car, you're sitting on your train, and you wonder if you're forgiven, I just want to settle that right now. There are hundreds thousands of yellow ribbons. If you're the mother that made a mistake with your children, if you're the father that made a mistake with his family, if you're the person that rubbed that precious relationship all wrong, if you've been away from God, I want to tell you, there's ribbons in the trees. There's ribbons in the trees and God formed you and made you for a purpose with promises attached to your birth certificate. And they're all cut in stone.